so I tweeted it out, uh, you know, to test it, kind of like sending the canary in the mine. And um, 46,000 people said they were interested. Welcome and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Fiesta Bowl Football Focus Podcast, where we visit with some of the top folks across college football. I'm Scott Lightman with the Fiesta Bowl, and today we're joined by Mike Leach, head coach at Washington State and one of the game's most innovative coaches. Up in Pullman, the Cougars had four straight seasons of eight-plus wins under Coach Leach. That's the first time in school history that that has happened. And while at Texas Tech, he led the Red Raiders to its winningest stretch in history with 10 straight bowl trips and an average of eight and a half wins per season over that time. The school has not had any other stretch with more than five straight winning seasons. Coach, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And uh, you're originally from Cody, Wyoming. Uh, which I understand is sort of the east entrance of, of Yellowstone National Park. How did that upbringing influence you in the rest of your life? You know, it was, I'll tell you, what I, I really liked Cody, Wyoming. I was very proud. I grew up in Cody, Wyoming. Um, uh, my dad was a forester, so there was an awful lot of hunting and fishing and mountains and skiing and that sort of thing and uh, camping and um, but it was a gorgeous area, but it was also a very rugged, uh, gritty area. And, and uh, every day you would uh, see somebody that, you know, had outright lived, whether it was very difficult uh, work on an oil rig or whether um, it was somebody that was literally living the life of a cowboy in the old West. I mean, and uh, so it, 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 it was an exciting place to be a part of. The other thing, um, is, is Cody because of where it's located, uh, near Yellowstone. And then there's, uh, probably the greatest, uh, museum of the West that exists in, in Cody, Wyoming. So we always had a lot of tourists come through and you'd see people from all over the world that at some point in time or another would come through. You mentioned your dad was a forester and the hunting or fishing. So which one are you? Are you hunter or fisherman? Uh, I guess I prefer, it depends. I like, um, I like fishing saltwater a lot because it's a combination of, uh, big, strong fish with just relaxing, uh, gorgeous environment. Um, I probably like, uh, hunting better than, uh, freshwater fishing. The trouble is, and it's funny because a certain number of people in coaching, talk all about you know all the um hunting they do and things like that and you know i mean i don't know when they're doing this hunting because hunting's during uh football season you know that's that's when all the seasons are so that's very difficult to do i mean that's something i think in a lot of cases you did as a kid or on rare rare occasion or maybe when you retire or, or maybe you just know people who do it What's the biggest uh, biggest thing you've ever bagged? Uh, either an elk or uh, probably a, a black bear. Shot a black bear up in Canada, and this was uh, probably six years ago. And it was a big black bear. And I wish I could say I had something to do with the fact that it was big, but, you know, I'm sitting up there in the stand for hours on end, probably five hours, and... and uh, you know, and then in comes this black bear, and he happened to be gigantic. <laughs> That's awesome. So, down when you were in, in Lubbock, uh, 
Coach Knight was there, and he's an avid hunter and fisherman. You guys ever go out together and have any great stories about some time that you spent some time in the outdoors? No, we didn't. I always enjoyed uh, uh, Coach Knight, and Coach Knight had uh, great stories and just, uh, you know, was just such an influence on the game of basketball and an impressive coach, but uh, we didn't. And part of it, uh, what was difficult there is our, our seasons are kind of opposite one another. You know, I mean, we would be most busy when he had the most time and vice versa, you know. So when you were together in, in Lubbock at the same time, did you and Coach Knight ever sit down and talk philosophies about leadership or teamwork or uh, winning? Uh, you guys have a lot of the same principles, sort of hard-nosed and, and academics are important. Uh, but. Uh, we had, we actually did some, you know, but it'd be a, a, just a little bit here and there. Uh, the, I talked to his son Pat a lot more, and then Pat, of course, followed him as uh, as head football or I'm sorry, head basketball coach there at uh, in uh, Lubbock. But um, I, I talked to Pat more than uh, than coach. I mean, coach would be somewhere speaking, somewhere doing something, but. Uh, uh, but I, I do have, uh, I, I, I do have some fun memories of, uh, you know, sitting, like going to dinner, sitting at dinner with coach Knight, And I mean, he'd start talking about everything from John Havlicek to, you know, the last minute of some important game or, uh, just, and then just overall his thoughts and impressions on things. And he's a, he's a very smart, well-read guy. And, um, so I, I did always find him interesting to talk to. Um, and, you know, perhaps uh, uh, age difference and whatnot that, uh, you know, me and me and Pat tended to gravitate uh, toward one another, despite the fact that Coach and I were the head coaches. Gotcha. Thank you. After college at BYU, you attended and graduated from law school and even started in kind of a law career there before you got into to football. If you stayed in the law profession, what area of law do you think you would have practiced? It would have been some form of trial practice. I, I got uh, uh, about the middle of law school. I got really interested in products liability. In other words, if dangerous products are uh, put on the market, uh, uh, you go after the manufacturer to uh, right the wrongs that uh, their product has caused. And... Um, and then also get them off the market. I actually drove up to Santa Barbara to attend a couple of the uh, um, the trials against the, a trial against the cigarette company. One of the trials that, against the cigarette company, where Melvin Belli was the attorney, famous attorney, and um, you know, and just uh, sat in trial to see what I could learn and just listen to the the trial. And it, you know, and it was. It was good, but that 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 type of thing. I mean, um, uh, utilize uh, uh, the court system and in the markets to uh, uh, put better products out there and ensure that uh, they don't uh, harm people, and then and, and to, to the extent they do, uh, make the people making the money pay for it. But it would have been some type of uh, it would have been some type of trial uh, work. Uh, you know, uh, working for the little guy that uh, gets, you know, kind of pushed over by the 
corporations and things like that. Uh, I probably would have sued the corporation as opposed to defending the corporation. Coach, you're also a traveler. I know you lived in Japan and, and actually coached football in Finland. What was your favorite place to live or visit? And, and if you could escape for two weeks to somewhere, which is impossible for a football coach, where would you go? Um, I didn't live in Japan. I did a camp in Japan. Um, and I did coach in Finland for a season. Uh, of the places I've been, let's see, you get two weeks. Of the places I've been, New Zealand was just outstanding. And um, New Zealand was just outstanding. And then... I've always wanted to see Australia, and then I've always wanted to, uh, you know, do some type of a safari thing in Africa. So I would say those are kind of next on the list. But, I, I mean, I have a lot of ground I want to cover. All right, so you mentioned Africa next on the list. Uh, where in Africa uh, would, would you go? Uh, so anywhere where you can see a lot of animals, you know. I mean, in there's uh, several countries that are really in Central Africa, you know, on uh, the headwaters of the Nile and the uh, and uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, that area there. But I would want to, I would, I would want to see a lot of wildlife. You're well read, and you you talked about Coach Knight earlier, and speaking with him about books you've read. Where did your thirst for knowledge come from? Um, I think originally it came from my mom. My mom was a very curious person and read quite a bit. And then in, in as, as kids, um, she would read to us every night. And they weren't just like uh, Dr. Seuss books. They were, you know, academic kind of involved books on whatever subjects we selected. And um, which, you know, I, I think always uh, kind of planted the seed there. And then... Uh, uh, I think also that, um, you know, in, in, in uh, conversations we'd have at, at night, she was always a night person. She was up late and uh, she was up late and we'd have these late night conversations on really anything. And I could ask her, discuss anything with her. And I think that spawned a lot of curiosity as well. How much of that do you take over to your family as a, as a father now? Well, I try, you know, I try to, and I guess that's one of the regrets that I have is with coaching and things like that, coaching and things of that nature. It's just difficult to be there as much as you'd like, you know, you're always traveling, whether it's with recruiting or something like that, but, um, uh, where you, you know, you're just not around, uh, as often as, uh, certainly my mom was and, uh, and I do feel like that that is one sacrifice you make coaching. There's uh, events and things family-wise that you miss, no matter how hard you try to, uh, you know, do it as much as you'd like. You wrote a book yourself, and you mentioned your mom and books when you were younger. How much do you read these days, and what types of books do you read? I don't read a lot this time of year uh, uh, with the season. Uh, but I, uh, typically read like, uh, I read nonfiction, uh, generally and, uh, you know, bios, things like that, or, uh, things about uh, particular events and things. So coach, how'd you get into football? I know you were, you were a baseball player and, and fan growing up, but 
how and why did you get into football? Well, I always played uh, football all through high school, and we were kind of a, a high-achieving group. We were the smallest school in the biggest classification in the state, uh, but had several good seasons. We won the state championship in overtime uh, when I was a sophomore. We played for it when I was a junior, and um, and then uh, I wasn't a particularly good player because I, I, I grew as I got into college, but... Um, but that was always kind of my priority. And then I got the coaching bug. Um, uh, you know, I'd read books and things and think, you know, this would be a good idea. That'd be a good idea. And baseball and football were kind of the predominant ones. But see, baseball, you know, there are enough little league teams and peewee teams and Babe Ruth teams around. You could find one and actually coach it. And I couldn't coach a football team. One, there weren't as many. And two, I was actually playing football, so it'd be difficult to go coach uh, some other team while I'm, you know, busy at practice playing on the one I'm on. So, um, but each summer, starting when I was 15 years old, through my sophomore year in in college, I had a baseball team, and I had a baseball team every season, and was you know consumed by it, thought about it all all the time, and then is I made it about halfway through law school. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to get old and wish I'd coached. So I wanted to do it for a couple of years, get it out of my system. And, uh, well, and then, but now I had the opportunity to coach football if I wanted to, and there were more jobs in football. I was in, in football had always been my top priority. And, um, so then I decided, uh, it was time to learn how to be a football coach and you pretty much, uh, you know, everybody that played anything thinks they know a lot about it. And that's really not true. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's really not true. And, and I think that, um, uh, you, you know, you learn from scratch and I got in when they were just wrapping up the 16 millimeter stuff. I mean, I've actually chopped up and spliced up 16 millimeter film and we loaded it up in a vehicle and, and got and uh, met a coach from the other team halfway in between, uh, you know, in some desolate location to swap film and all that stuff. You have a funny story from those days about meeting a coach somewhere halfway in between to, to do a film exchange? Well, you'd talk and you'd try to figure out somewhere good to eat or something in some cases if they were good guys. And you didn't know them very well, but, you know, and at the time, I was at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, so it would be somewhere scattered around California, uh, a lot of times in the Central Valley or something. And somebody would just recall that, you know, on this part of uh, I-5 or somewhere, there's a, there's a road that has a truck stop type of deal, you know. And yeah, there'd be different weather. You were going through everything. Is there any gamesmanship in those uh, in those meetings where you're trying to extract some information out of out of the other guy? Maybe a little, but I'll tell you the biggest thing is is there was a school we played that never let you see them score. I mean, they'd send the film, but and some guys, you know, occasionally somebody send one that's all clouded, messed up, or. But there was a team that would never let you see them actually score. They'd take all their scoring plays off the film. 
you end up beating those guys? Uh, yes, we did, actually. Um, yeah, we did. How'd you prepare for them? Uh, well, I, I, the other thing is, is um, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody. And back then, a lot of preparation was more word of mouth, you know, asking somebody who played them previously, ask somebody that was in their conferences complaint. You know, a lot of this uh, word, word of mouth uh, scouting stuff, you know. Why is teaching a class at the university level, you know, with the time, limited time that you have, why is that so important to you? Um, I just thought it would be exciting to teach a class and, you know, and, and got to talking to a friend of mine, uh, Mike Baumgartner, who had talked, who had taught insurgency classes and counterinsurgency classes and, um, and, you know, and of course he was, uh, 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 we got to talking about it, you know, cause, uh, insurgency has a lot, is a lot like football. I mean, you're attacking certain spaces, you're protecting certain things. You got certain schemes and strategies. Sometimes you outlast people. Sometimes you surprise and attack somebody suddenly and, you know, all the various parallels with it. And, um, and he thought that there'd be quite a few people interested. I was thinking some would be interested, but not very many. And this would mostly be interested, uh, interesting to me and Mike. And so I tweeted it out, uh, you know, to test it, kind of like sending the canary in the mine. And um, 46,000 people said they were interested. So. So, and that was last semester about, or last year, about January. I'm sorry, it wasn't January. It was last year, about November. And we had to get this thing approved and in by January. So, um, you know, uh, it was kind of a race to do that. And it had to be at a time when, uh, it had to be at a time when I was going to be in town. And so the best time was during spring football. So we had uh, six kind of block sessions during uh, spring, uh, you know, class lasted, uh, uh, it was two, I, I think it was two hours. I, I believe we went two hours, but we were more than happy to stay longer if the students wanted to stay longer. So Mike would talk, I would talk. We always had a guest speaker. Uh, Gardner Minshew went to every class, and so we made him talk, one of them. Uh, but we had guys from uh, Homeland Security, a guy that was uh, instrumental in in, uh, in busting the shoe bomber and the Boston Marathon bomber. We had um, uh, uh, Air Force uh, survival specialists. We had guys that had been in Iraq and Afghanistan. Just incredible stories, just incredible knowledge on things. And then uh, Buddy Levy, who's a professor here, who, um, you know, great writer. Uh, he and I wrote the book, uh, Geronimo leadership strategies of an American warrior together. And, um, and so one class, he, he'd also written a book on Cortez. So he talked about Cortez. I talked about Geronimo. Uh, we had Jack Thompson, uh, the throwing Samoan, a great quarterback and iconic uh, quarterback for Washington State talk did, did just an outstanding job um, and then Mark Rippon talked so we had some great people talk and it was one of those uh, deals where 
we were kind of captivated by the guest speakers and wanted to hear more from them. You know, I mean, you left with more and more questions and interest when they were done talking. So it was really a good experience. And we had some great students too. I assume that that course will be on the uh, curriculum schedule again in the future. Uh, it's fine with me. I mean, I'm up for doing it. We had it in our building so that we didn't inconvenience the campus at all, you know. One of your team rituals, I understand, is to have movie night every Friday. And, and the way I understand it is you, you take the team on the buses to a multiplex and you open the doors and the players choose the movie they want to see. How did that come about and, and why is that an important sort of sacred time for you and the team every week? Well, it's within a time frame. They have a couple selections, uh, you know, three or four selections based on um, uh, if it fits our time frame. Uh, I think it's very important for players to spend time with each other, to hang out with each other, uh, to enjoy the efforts of the other guys who are getting ready to really go engage in a battle and uh, out there on the field. And, um you know, and I think it's uh, it's uh, a combination of intense. You're with the guys that you're going to play with tomorrow, but uh, kind of decompressing between meetings as you get ready to go the next day. What are some of the ones you've seen recently? Um, shoot, I'm trying to think. Uh, Rambo was one. The, uh, a really good one was... Uh, uh, What's that one about peanut butter that's about the professional wrestler? It's about a professional wrestler. It's showing now. It's it's and it's a it's kind of an independent uh, Sundance type of film, but it's an outstanding film. I highly recommend that. And and our whole team went to that uh, 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 a couple weeks ago in in Houston. We all went to that and. And that was a great movie. I thought it was fantastic. So if a movie was made about Mike Leach, what actor would play you? I don't know. I've always, and I don't know him at all. I've always thought John Cusack because he kind of looks like me a little bit, maybe. What's your favorite John Cusack movie? I remember Better Off Dead. Uh, that was good. I think he, he's good in all of them. I, I, I think... Uh, uh, the one on the Chicago uh, Black Sox was very good. Um, you know, with uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and he played Buck Weaver. I thought that was a really good one. Um, that other one he played early on was good. Um, oh, oh, A Sure Thing, if you ever saw A Sure Thing, was really good. Uh, are you a superstitious guy? Do you do anything... <laughs> Every week, this, when... mo this movie's called The Peanut Butter Falcon. Okay, we'll make sure we put that on our list. That's for sure. Um, and that, I thought that was an outstanding movie. Um, you know, I think I'm pretty well restricted by uh, habit more than anything than superstition. But uh, there is a point where superstition clouds with habit. And um, for a while at Tech, I was getting to be. Um, a B12 shot before every game because I'd gotten one before one game and um, we'd won and it was a big win. And so then, and I, I didn't really do it for myself. I did it on behalf of other coaches. 
that I felt like were superstitious. So yeah, they'd witness as I'd uh, pull down my pants and get a shot in the ass uh, of B12 before each game uh, for that year. And we had a good year. And then, um, what year was that? Uh, I can't remember. It went on for about two years at tech, but anyway, and then, uh, here I, I always wear whatever belt I have. I don't change out my belt because I don't want to break in a new belt. I want to talk about a particular game here for a second in your career. It was the 2006 insight bowl, which is now famously known as the cheese it bowl. Uh, here in Tempe at Sun Devil Stadium uh, with Texas Tech against Minnesota. You guys were down 31 points in the third quarter, came back to win, which is the largest comeback win of, of any bowl game. What do you remember about that game uh, and then also that trip here to Arizona, you know, hosted by the Fiesta Bowl Committee? Well, the trip to Arizona was outstanding and everything I've ever dealt with hosted by the Fiesta Bowl uh, Committee is uh, – is is uh, has always been professional and top notch, and I've always been impressed with them. And I also think that a lot of other uh, bowls have uh, have uh, probably drawn from things that they learned. But um, but I, that game was, uh, you know, we'd had a pretty decent week of preparation. We did not come out of the blocks good. In Minnesota was beating our head in, and we couldn't get on track, and there'd be a, one mishap after the next. And then at halftime, we kind of regrouped, recommitted to uh, um, to recommitted to uh, uh, you know making this uh, the the most out of it. I mean because. You know, nobody. There, there's no grace in just quitting or stopping or acting like you're frustrated. And I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing noble or glorious about that. You know, going there, and you know, and you see people do it all the time. The, they they act like, uh, well, they're really frustrated, and so somehow you're supposed to have some some level of sympathy for them because they're frustrated, and um, <coughs> or they'll act like. No big deal. It doesn't matter that much anyway. Yeah, it matters a lot. That's why we prepared all year for that. <clears throat> and so then, um, but, you know, the biggest thing in the locker room, we committed to hang together, which we did. And, um, and, and we really didn't start getting on track until, uh, uh, you know, mid, late to midway through the third quarter. And, uh, and so as a result of that, the, uh, uh, you know, but we, I was impressed with that group really holding together and keeping the faith throughout that second half. And then we started to get a little spark and, you know, one thing worked, the next thing worked and, and, you know, we just kept pushing and slugging until we won at the end. Do you remember your halftime speech for that game? What you said to get to try and get them back on track and remind them that to persevere and it's not over yet? Yeah, I first talked to the coaches. I first talked to the coaches to make sure that we were on track with the same message because all the coaches, you know, understandably were discouraged too, but we don't have time for that. So I wanted um, all the coaches clear and on the same page. And then, um, um, 
Well, and then from uh, there, winning and, um, you know, and then they talked to the players, but then I talked to the players and gave the message, we're not quitting this game. It does not matter. We're going to play as hard as we possibly can, et cetera, et cetera. And so then it was, it was, a, it was, it was probably the finest last one-third of a game I've ever been involved in. Graham really came to play in, in that second half and third and a half and fourth quarter. Uh, what did he do from a leadership perspective, uh, by example as well? Biggest thing is, is he stuck in there and was even tempered the entire time. You know, didn't get uh, ruffled or rattled or any of that stuff. You know. So okay, he he kept playing the next play. Just keep playing the next play. Obviously, bowls are important to us here at the Fiesta and Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, from your perspective, why is the overall bowl experience so important for the student-athletes, you know, maybe compared to a regular season game? You know, it's different than, than a regular season game where you have training room on Sunday and you, you practice through a game. You have more time, and, and it's a holistic experience once you get to town. Well, I think it brings the team together for the future. I also think it's a it can be a pretty good send off uh, for the seniors if they truly embrace it the way they should. And then also um, <clears throat> prior to that, you get additional work uh, as you build your future team. With that, with that in mind, how do you attack the bowl season in terms of the extended time for practice? Do, do you use the time for extra practices? Do you use it for game prep or look into the future or recruiting? You know, how do you use it? Oh. Well, it's a, now it is a tough time because there's a lot going on. You have to go through the logistics of how to get to the bowl. It's the heat of recruiting now more than ever. Um, and then, uh, so you're trying to multitask and do a lot of things. And then, you know, also there's uh, stuff like the College Football Hall of Fame and and several of the awards things and that you may get uh, wrapped up in. But uh um, early on in practices, I work the young guys. I try to get the young guys as much work as I can and then uh, to elevate their uh, level of play. And it's always surprising how much they've improved. And then um, the uh, uh, then after that, uh, then, you know, you start bringing more and more of the older guys in and as you prepare for the game and uh, get ready to win the game. If you could change or create one rule in college football, what would it be? Well, I'd get rid of the targeting targeting rule because uh, I don't think that they're able to uh, officiate it uh, with any consistency. And I also haven't seen where um, where it's done anything particularly to uh, make the game safer. I've seen no stats where it makes the game safer and there's no consistency with how they officiate it. And then, um, and I've seen a number of calls where, uh, whether on, not, not even so much on our team, but other teams where, you know, guys have to miss a whole game for, uh, something that they're going to lose a whole game over. That's a ridiculous, uh, uh, penalty for what I saw occur. And then, um, so I'd get rid of that. Uh, I'd get rid of, uncatchable ball because it's very difficult to determine whether a ball is catchable or not. 
and then the other thing is somebody's getting held, the quarterback alters his uh, motion to avoid it getting intercepted. And so I don't think that uncatchable is very realistic. Um, you know, I would try, I would do everything I could to reduce that rule book to a pamphlet. And I think we'd be a better game if we did that. If you could sit and, and chat with another college football coach or, or set of coaches about something unrelated to football, who would it be and, and what would the topics be? Um, it's difficult to say. That changes all the time. Uh, how many people are we talking? Up to you. I mean, if, if you want to have a, a group of four, you could even call it a golf foursome or, or something like that. You know. Well, like uh, my... I mean, of course, my, my people on this list change all the time. Uh, but I think uh, some good ones would be uh, Ernest Hemingway, uh, Billy Martin, uh, Geronimo, uh, Winston Churchill. I mean, that'd be, I guess that's good for now. Um, and then, and I, um, and the only, you know, and obviously, uh, God or Christ would be the top of the list, but I always think it's unfair to bring them in because it's like, yeah, no kidding, you know, because that's, that's too much of a super trump card. You know, I think you kind of stick with former mortals, you know. I just want to see, you know, just get a sense of what they've seen, what they've done, and just kind of get their thoughts and ideas and just their, you know, pick their brains, really. Last question for you, Coach, is how you take, you know, you've been at schools that haven't been over-resourced or have an abundance of uh, recruiting four or five-star, you know, players year after year after year. So how do you take the collection that you've had and you, you have successful seasons year over year, but how do you bring those guys together into an effective team? You know, you just, uh, I think the biggest thing is you stick together and work hard for, um, for lack of a better description. I think it's important to get better every day. I think it's important to not confuse activities with, uh, with results to, uh, truly be improving. And, um, um, and that's going to require some attention to detail. Uh, and then I think, uh, you need to be excited about what you're doing. And then I think you've got to play the next play. All that counts is the next play. Engage each play by, uh, by whether it was the best of your ability. Coach, from the Fiesta Bowl side, as a student and a fan of the game, is there one or two Fiesta Bowl moments that you remember watching that stand out to you? You know, not specifically, and I, there's been one good, great Fiesta Bowl after the next. Coach, I appreciate your time. I know how busy your schedule is, and, and to take some time out to talk to us about a whole bunch of questions that aren't related to you winning football games, we greatly appreciate. I appreciate talking to you.